Hello and welcome to Capital Ideas. We call it that, Capital Ideas, because it's a place where members of the Democratic majority in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. Today we're taking a look at two higher education bills, both sponsored by Representative Noel Frame of Seattle's 36th Legislative District. We're joined by two members of the Washington Student Association, Anna Nepomuceno and Marissa Miranda. Anna is from UW-Tacoma, and Marissa studies at WSU Vancouver. They each worked closely with Representative Frame, and we all got together on March 17, 2017. This is what we said. Welcome, Noel and Anna and Marissa. I appreciate you all stopping by to spend a few minutes with Capital Ideas today. Thank you for having us. Representative Frame, I want to get you to talk about your involvement with higher ed. There's a million bills to have been sponsored down here, actually several thousand this year. Why your involvement with these particular bills that we're going to discuss in a little bit of depth here in a minute? Well, thanks for the question. Well, um, last year was my first year in the legislature, and I had the opportunity to serve on the Higher Education Committee. And through that, um, was introduced to a wonderful group of advocates in the folks from the Washington Student Association. And um, first and foremost, I'll say what brings me, my interest in higher education really boils down to access to the American dream. Uh, for so many people, going to college, um, getting a, a degree or a credential is really that ticket out of the economic situation that they were born into. That was certainly true for me. I was first on my mom's side uh, to go to college and earn a degree. My mom later went to school after me to WSU Vancouver. <laughs> and um, you know, it was a game changer for me and it is for so many people. So that's what brings me to my interest in higher education. With these bills in particular, there, there's a couple different topics that we'll dive into more, but I will just say I really enjoy working with the students. I was certainly someone who was active in high school and in, in college. I knew what I was doing and what I was about, and um, these uh, young people are so smart and empowered, and everything that I can do to help bring their voice to the legislature is a meaningful experience for me. Anna, let me start with you. The, the bill that we're going to get you to talk about more is House Bill 2037, which has to do with students with disabilities. That's a huge topic, but this is a very specialized bill, and, and I think it's something that a lot of people might never have thought about. Can you tell me a little bit about how this bill would make life somewhat better for students with disabilities who are transferring between colleges? Last year, we found out that uh, students with disabilities were having issues when they transferred as far as getting their proper documentation. They just felt that they already proved that they were disabled in the first college, and then when they were transferring, they felt they had to prove all over again that they were disabled. It was really the documentation that was causing a lot of financial issues and issues being able to get that documentation to their new school. And so last year, Senator Habib passed a bill to establish a, a disability task force so we could come up with a common release form that instead of students having to get their documentation all over again, okay. all they have to do is fill out a form and then sign it and the school that they're transferring from can transfer that documentation to the school that they're going to go to instead of them having to travel back and forth and run around and get all this documentation. And so what this bill does is it continues the task force because during the interim last year we uh, found out that we are dealing with 35 different community colleges and all the different uh, state colleges. And so when you're dealing with that many campuses, there's a lot of 
little kinks that you have to work out to make sure that the form works for every campus. And so we're really confident that this year, if we are allowed to continue, we'll finally be able to finalize the common release form mm -hmm. and implement it at all the schools. And what that will do, it'll just expedite and streamline the process a lot easier so students with disabilities can get their services a lot quicker and it doesn't impede their progress in their classes. The benefit, if that's the right word, of having this kind of documentation on file at any given school, is this largely a financial situation? Does it have to do with accommodations that might need to be made? Well, I think the financial piece that we heard from students is that they were having to spend time and money going back into their doctor's office to get the documentation that, that had already been created for them for their first school. They just couldn't transfer it easily to the second school. I don't think it, it's, it's not unlike um, because of HIPAA regulations at the federal level when you change doctors. Sometimes you have a release form so that one doctor's office can talk to the other one and maybe transfer previous tests that you had. It's the same thing. And so for our students that were going to these other schools, because the second school wasn't easily accepting forms from the first one, they were spending time and money doing that going back, and it was delaying them getting accommodations, which meant that their likelihood of academic success was really harmed uh, because they didn't have those accommodations right from the beginning of the quarter of the semester. So how far along would you say the work of this task force is now? Can you see the light at the end of this tunnel? Oh, definitely. And we came very close to it uh, at the end of the interim. But again, we just had some kinks to work out with primarily the uh, community colleges. And I believe that, yes, having that extra year will allow us to complete the form and hopefully implement it this year do a pilot program so students can start using it right away. I would guess that the schools are on board with this too, wouldn't they be? It seems like it would make it much easier for their admissions people and their, if there's a coordinator of service for students with disabilities, all these people might benefit from having this kind of streamlined situation. Yeah, definitely. And that was actually one of the other purposes of the work group last year is that a lot of the schools didn't realize that this was an issue for their students with disabilities. And so this was kind of a wake-up call for a lot of them. And then when they realize that there's that issue, yes, they're definitely all on board. Let me focus in for a minute and get you to explain to the listeners a situation that might be improved for a given student or a given institution because of this sort of innovation. I served as a tutor at Tacoma Community College, and one of our students, we found out in the middle of the quarter that she had actually not received her accommodations yet, and she had remained quiet about it the entire quarter because she was embarrassed that she had hearing issues, and she was an older student, and she already felt out of place, and so she didn't want to say anything about it, and then she finally confided in me, because I found her in tears when I was trying to work with her, that she couldn't hear. Uh, she couldn't hear the teacher, and so she was failing the class at that point, and she was worried that she wasn't going to be able to graduate on time. And um, and it was primarily because she hadn't gotten her disability services yet because her paperwork was tied up. So if she had had the common release form, she would have been able to have that paperwork right as she started school, and she would have been able to get her disability service right away. I think that kind of example makes this real concrete in a lot of people's minds now. That's certainly mine. Let's change gears now and talk to Marissa for a minute here about something that can have a pretty good financial benefit for lots of students, 
and that is open educational resources. So, Marissa, can you explain what that is to people that aren't in college at the moment, or maybe they are and they're not aware that this kind of a resource is available? Students across Washington have advocated for a more affordable higher education experience for many years. And I think that this bill, which is House Bill 1561, just really continues to help students um, find more affordable ways to attend college. So open educational resources are any open material that are available to students that have a Creative Commons license, and they're available to use and to edit, so it could be more accessible to more amount of students. So people don't earn royalties on these the way they might with the sale of a textbook? No, they're 100% free for all students, and they save students a lot of money. Textbooks for one class could cost up to $200. I had a student tell me that one semester worth of textbook was the same amount as one month's worth of rent. And so that really puts things into perspective where students feel like they can afford tuition um, with some help, but then they also have to bear the cost of textbooks. And a lot of the time students will end up not even purchasing a textbook for a class because they think they can find an alternative way to get the information or they can share a textbook with a student. But they, every student should have the same opportunity and the same resources to succeed in a classroom. And how does a student access this? Does she pop open her laptop and hit a few buttons and they've got it right in front of them? Or is it done through an app? The material will most likely be available online. I assume that it will also be available like in the university libraries on their computers too. And it's just, we're trying to make it as accessible as possible. This bill really focuses on getting a campus coordinator on each of the four-year universities in order to implement this grant program for professors to apply for. And they can have the opportunity to create the material that they want to present to their students in the classroom. I'm really privileged to be at the WCUV campus because we have actually already implemented a similar initiative on our campus. So faculty from the WCV campus can receive a stipend of up to one month's salary to create adapter add-on to open educational resources, and they can also get $200 to assess a book. So just coming from a campus that has already taken a little bit of that step to have open educational material um, on for WCU, I was really excited to come work in the state legislature to make that opportunity available to all students. And thankfully, Representative Frame has made that opportunity um, accessible for all of the students. Is there a difference in quality between a textbook that might cost $75 and, and weigh five and a half pounds versus an OER that uh, might exist only on a computer? Or are, they, are they essentially the same teaching quality? Yeah, well, so a lot of the time students will buy a textbook and it's, let's say, edition one. And then the next semester, they're going on to the second part of that class and they're required to get another textbook that's edition two. And the similarities of the books um, a lot of the time can be very similar, yet students are having to pay full price for an entire new textbook when so much of the material is the same. Um, with open educational resources, it has the potential to get edited by, um, it has the potential to get edited by different people in order to have more up-to-date information. And so whenever you need to update in a book for whatever reason, you have the opportunity to do that. Something occurs to me, which is the word open in open educational resources implies maybe that this could be one of those situations like Wikipedia, where a person can get in there and put in incorrect information if they feel motivated to do so. Who are open educational resources open to in terms of authorship? 
That's a great question. I mean, right now, most of the open educational resources are being licensed as, you know, sort of creative commons and really anybody can access them and they're free and they can be modified and all that moving forward. And, and I will say that the, the idea that a college professor is creating their own materials for their classroom or collecting materials like current um, articles about current events, this is not something new. I mean, I haven't been in college for a bit of time now, and that was happening when I was in school. Um, and I think, you know, right now the campus itself um, is sort of the accountability mechanism that, that that professor, that department, that's the accountability mechanism. I will say that, you know, with our hope is that the use of open educational resources will continue to expand. And in the future, we may need to really think about a broader accountability mechanism. One of the things that we have discussed is the idea of a, a peer review network. Uh, peer review is part of the process of traditional textbooks today. That there are professors that I think it's actually compensated for them to go back through um, textbooks and, and review that and point out potential errors and give feedback. Um, and we actually heard that as part of the textbook summit um, that the students put on in the interim that not only is that important but it's actually would be a great incentive to faculty if it was peer reviewed because you need peer-reviewed work to qualify for tenure. So one of the things that we built into the bill, just a little thing, but it's a beginning, is for the Washington Student Achievement Council to do some initial outreach to other states and find out if they are doing OER programs, if they might be interested with their public universities to create a network with our public universities and start to create maybe a multi-state national network for peer review. That's the type of mechanism we think could help hold folks uh, accountable for accuracy um, and quality moving forward. What are the status of these two bills now in the legislature? Have they passed the House and they're now in the Senate to be considered? Yeah, I'm happy to report that both of these bills are alive and well moving through the process. Um, both passed off the House floor. Um, the Disability Task Force bill passed unanimously. Um, the Open Educational Resources bill was bipartisan. I believe we got 63 votes um, out of 98. And uh, they are now in the Senate. Uh, we had a hearing already uh, on open educational resources and our, we have another hearing for the disability task force already scheduled. So we are moving right along and very happy. We're about out of time. I promised this would be brief, but let me ask you, is there anything that we haven't touched on that we should have talked about? I think the only thing that I would add, and I mentioned it earlier, but I will say it again, that the students have had an incredible influence on the legislative process uh, through these two bills, they're not simply advocating for a bill that I put forward. They worked very closely with me in developing the legislation. And I think it's a really great lesson for other young people out there about the role that they can play in the legislative process. Um, we are here as legislators. We welcome ideas. We love working with young people. And I would just encourage more folks to bring their ideas forward to their elected representatives. Anna and Marissa, anything else? I, I just want to say that I can't say enough of students making their voice heard. The legislators really want to hear from us. Our voice holds a lot of weight and so you really can make a difference. And I just want to thank not only Representative Frame but just any other legislator that has helped with higher education policies and making college more affordable, more accessible to all of us. Thank you Marissa, Anna, and Noelle. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. 
And that's it for today. If you feel like the last few minutes were worthwhile, why not subscribe to Capital Ideas on iTunes or at housedemocrats.wa.gov. This is your state government. What happens here matters a lot. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats. Thank you for listening.